Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Gratitude. What is it? Why should we be grateful? And how do we express it? Bishop Frank is going to talk about that today on Let Me Be Frank. After he tells us some stories of Thanksgiving from his life and childhood. Quickly, I want to let you know that you can take Veritas Catholic Network with you wherever you go. All you have to do is download the Veritas Catholic Network app. You can listen live to our 24 hours of programming. You can grab podcasts of our shows like Let Me Be Frank and Restless, and there's more. It's all on the app. Check it out, download it from the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or you can visit www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It's my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's great to be with you. We have a lot to talk about, huh? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yes. There's a lot going on. We're going to go down memory lane today, aren't we? Yes. Yep. And and just before we dive into it, uh, we Mm -hmm. should uh, make mention that there's there's big news uh, in the church this past week, of course, with Mm. the release of the McCarrick Report. Um, You still need time to read through the report, Mm -hmm. Excellency. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll we can address it in maybe in a future show. Oh, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's sad, it's disturbing, and there are lessons to be learned from it. Yeah, we need to talk about it. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, uh, I'm actually, I guess, a little embarrassed to say, I almost feel like a, a bad Christian saying this, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. See? You were my father. <laughs> oh, is that exactly. right? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. He loved it. He loved, he loved Thanksgiving and the meal was forever, forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something quintessentially Christian about it. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's no pressure. There's no gift shopping. It's just getting together with loved ones over delicious food to be together and be grateful for many blessings. Right. Well, let's acknowledge, first of all, why I say it's preeminently a Christian uh, inspired homily, um, ho- uh, holiday yes. is because Christianity at its heart is a, a faith of thanks for yes. the gifts God has given us, which we can talk about later on, most especially the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. So the fact that we gather together to give thanks it just fits as what yeah. we do as Christians all the time. So it, in and of itself, I, I presume the original pilgrims were Christian, right? But but it's it's a secular holiday. But for Christians, it is it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. So yeah. So let's uh, you know everybody loves your stories, Excellency, and from your past descriptions of your mom's cooking, I bet Thanksgiving oh, in your house were something Thanksgiving, else. Thanksgiving went beyond gluttony. Thanksgiving <laughs> was a whole new form of sin. I, I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> Right. Well, first of all, every Thanksgiving, as if, right, as if we needed this, started with a huge breakfast. And, and, you know, among Italians, breakfast is very small. Okay. If you're in Italy, you have un cafe, maybe a cornetto, maybe, that's it. But we would have (coughs) French toast, pancakes, stuff like that to start the day. Okay. And my father, whatever we didn't eat, my father ate, so he started the day off right. And then mom started preparing 
okay? And she did both an Italian and an American component to Thanksgiving. Okay. All right, so she's doing all that. And the tradition in my house was we watched the same movie every year. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's The March of the Wooden Soldiers. No. You haven't. Okay. It's with um, Laurel and Hardy, of all things. Huh. And it's this fictitious... Um, it, it's a lot of storybook characters, but the bottom line is, it is, I guess they used to call them... I forget what they called them, actually. But these creatures... Um, that lived outside of this walled city came in and invaded, right? Okay. Because Barnabas was this evil figure that wanted to marry this woman, this young, beautiful woman that she didn't want him to marry. Anyway, the bottom line is, it's the classic story of good versus evil and how good conquers evil. And I remember as a little boy watching that movie and just getting absolutely thrilled at the end when the conquest comes. Huh. And we watched it for years. I could, I could have recited the narrative, honestly. And, I, and even now that I'm old, I still, if I have the occasion, if I can't necessarily on Thanksgiving, I watch it and I get the same thrill. And then, when that was over, we switched over to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, which was on television, right? Now, yes. this year, Thanksgiving is so different for all of us. Right. So yeah. we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge it's going to be a huge sacrifice for families, big families that can't get together. It's, it, it's just awful. It's heartbreaking. And yeah. the Thanksgiving Day Parade is a block, one block this year. <laughs> I didn't see block. that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the Thanksgiving Day Parade has no audience. It's not, there's no spectators. And it's literally a single block. It's made for television. Wow. All the balloons, though? All the floats? Oh, I, I honestly don't know. Huh. I, I, I would presume maybe they're going around the block. I don't know. But I mean, <laughs> that's it. But anyway, we would watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then by that time, you were like midday. And usually Thanksgiving dinner started around 2 and ended around 8, 8.30, whatever it was. And what, what, six and a half hours? Oh, at least. <laughs> Oh, now we didn't sit there six and a half. My father sat there six and a half hours. We didn't. Okay. No, no, no. no, because you had the antipasto, right? On top of the pancakes you already ate, right? <laughs> right. And then you have pasta. Most of the time it was, of all things, lasagna, a very light pasta, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Okay. And all that growing up, because my father insisted that we would have pasta, insisted. Yes. So this is the Italian component of the Thanksgiving meal right. that you said. It started yep. the meal. And then when okay. you're ready to pass out, then <laughs> the American component oh comes my out. Gosh. This poor turkey, everybody's looking at it saying, oh, my father dived in. But the rest of them looking at it said, I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll die if I, if I try to do this. But we did because we waited long enough that you got hungry eventually and you started eating. Right. And we'd have all these side dishes. Some of them were Italian. Some of them were like the broccolita, but we would have spinach with garlic. We would have peas with uh, um, eggs and cheese. We would have corn, which was the, the nod to the rest of America. And, right. And then this turkey, which was stuffed with my mother's bread stuffing. Oh, wow. But so I can't who? tell you. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love to eat. This yeah. was like a bonanza. 
Yeah. <laughs> so would your mom do all of that cooking herself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And some Thanksgivings, we even had chestnuts, roasted chestnuts. Mm. After that, and then we had dessert. Oh and dessert, goodness. sometimes mom baked a cake, sometimes we bought pastries, sometimes we had all of the above. Who knows? It depends what mood my father was in. And then <laughs> when it was all over, honestly, when it was all over, my father would take the turkey and debone it and do it himself, still sitting at the table. And then when that was done, Thanksgiving was done. Wow. And many a time at that point, he would just go upstairs and go to bed because between the wine he drank, the food he ate, it's comatose until the next day. So, oh my gosh. So who, would, would all of that feast be just for your parents and you and your sister? Yeah. Yeah. Holy we, we, yeah. Oh yeah. Because we didn't like, we didn't gather um, with family, like the larger family for the what I call the secular holidays. It was right. for the religious holidays. So Christmas, Easter, those sort of things, but not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was just us. Wow. That was all just for us. <laughs> so they were leftovers till like the second week of Advent. <laughs> leftovers forever. <laughs> uh, did you, um, did, did you and your family uh, have any kind of, tradition maybe about verbally expressing gratitude for your blessings i know some families do that yeah or, you, okay. we, we we prayed see my my dad was not uh was not very demonstrative uh -huh. in his faith um and this was the period when he wasn't going to church remember that long way i right. described that so but he was in his own ways obviously he believed and he kept faith in his own way, but yeah, no, I, one of us usually articulate one being my sister or I usually were the ones who articulated the prayer at Thanksgiving. Okay. At the meal. Oh, good. And I, I would, I would be a liar if I told you, I remembered exactly what was said because it's been so long ago. But yeah. I do remember actually being asked to do it. Right. And then once my, when my sister married, then she and her husband joined. And then of course, when they're children, cause we all live in one house, they were all at Thanksgiving too. So it grew over time. Yeah. Right. Um, that probably gave your mom such joy to, to cook for even more and for her grandkids. And Oh, oh, her grandkids. Yes. See, when her grandkids were born, we were, we, we, we fell off the radar. It was all over. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do I, what are my memories about Thanksgiving? It was family first. Yes. It was, um, food as an expression of what bound us together because all those hours together it was the food that brought us together right? mm. and you know there were Thanksgivings that had their disputes too I mean we weren't an idyllic family so we had our share of arguments at Thanksgiving as we did all our holidays but I mean we were Italian we're Italian I mean what can I tell you it just <laughs> came with the territory <laughs> you know because then we get we get into like these political discussions and economic discussions and you know, and I was, in those days, I was a fairly, um, so I was more socially conservative than my father was. Okay. Right. So we got into animated conversations, right? Um, particularly as I grew older, but nonetheless, they're treasured memories. They really yeah. are. 
And what would Thanksgiving be without those discussions, right? <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. And then for us, you know, Santa came in mm-hmm. at the end of the Thanksgiving Day Parade. The Christmas mm-hmm. season began and not my house. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even consider it. My mother wouldn't stand for it. Okay. Um, so my mother had a strict rule. Until you got to the Immaculate Conception, you didn't even talk about Christmas. Huh. So that's even after Nothing. Advent starts. Right. Yeah. So, and my mother's thinking was this. If there was no La- Our Lady, there would have been no Lord. So you right. honor Our Lady first. Hmm. So it, with her Immaculate Conception, which started the drama of salvation history, after that, then we could talk about Christmas, planning, even put up our Christmas tree, but not before. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's refreshing because I was at the store um, uh, before Halloween with my 11-year-old daughter, and we're walking through, and she said, Dad... Christmas decorations already? And it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, bl- bless me, Steve, for I have sinned. Uh, <laughs> last week, I was in a, the pharmacy and I bought my Christmas wrapping paper because <laughs> I finished all my, my shopping's done. Wow. It's all done. So now, after Thanksgiving, I'm going to start wrapping these gifts and try to hide them because, you know, the little ones, I don't want them to find them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I yeah. have to wrap them. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, so so forgive me, I fell into that a little bit. Well, but with your schedule, I mean, you need to plan ahead. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then Thanksgiving in Rome. Ooh. Yes. So tell us when you were a seminarian, what were what okay. was it like? How did it change? All right. So remember, I was I was seminarian here, but I was a priest there. So I lived okay. at the casa. Okay. Now, all right. So I will always be grateful to the North American. Not only because, you know, the Casa Santa Maria, where I lived, is a division of the North American College. But, you know, the administration there just did a great job of trying to make us feel as much as home as possible all year round. Right. All year round. But particularly on Thanksgiving. Hmm. Particularly. Now, the seminarians had their tradition at the NAC. I think they had a, a football game. And all, but I, we were not involved. Like, the guys at the Casa were not involved. But... There was a huge banquet at the North American that we would be invited to go to. Yeah. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, one year we had our own dinner at the Casa on Thanksgiving. But anyway, it was literally everything we had here. So um, pumpkin pie, uh, pecan pie, mm. um, turkey, the trimming, stuffing, everything. It, it was... It, they went out of their way for us to have the, the celebration that we were familiar with. And it was great. There was, you know, singing and there was, you know, sometimes there was entertainment. It was just, it was just really beautiful. But leaving and going into a city that had no connection to it was a different experience. Yeah. Of all the days when I lived in Rome where I felt homesick, it was Thanksgiving, was more than anything else, huh. any of the other days, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and for all their efforts, which was wonderful, and having the Thanksgiving meal, when you came out and it was disconnected, you realized that you were not home. 
that you are not home. Right. Right. It's just another so, Thursday for the Italians. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So then, I was, of course, I would call home and, you know, all the rest. This was before there was FaceTime. So we would just talk on the phone. But yeah. um, it was. Now, I myself, because I was a priest, a student priest, I had more flexibility for travel. So Christmas and New Year's and Easter, except for one, I always came home to the United States. Oh, good. Oh, I didn't spend a Christmas in Rome. Yeah. And, and, and not because I have anything against it, but I mean, my parents were in the United States. My grandparents, well, my grandmother was in, in Italy. But, uh, you know, in my mind, the, the, the great holy feast days are all about family and home. So, mm-hmm. I, in fact, the guys at the Casa used to, uh, used to joke about it. Yeah, because it was like around the 18th, they would say, okay, so uh, get out of his way. He's going home. <laughs> I said, that's absolutely correct. Get out of my way. That's very safe for you to do because I'm going back. Yes, I am. To celebrate it at home. <laughs> Just so I can uh, complete the picture of Thanksgiving, um, mm-hmm. h- how many seminarians and priests were there, you know, on average? Like, was it a gigantic room full? Well, or was it more intimate? At the uh, no, no, it's big. No, I think at seminarians. I don't recall how many seminarians there were. There were a good number. I mean, okay. now there's almost two hundred at the now wow. more. And the casa at its height, we were in the mid eighties, eighty five, eighty six priests at the wow. casa. So when you put everybody together. You're looking at maybe three hundred people, plus wow. the staff, plus others. Right, came. Yes. Priest. Yeah. I mean, so it was a big celebration. It was big. And it was great. So the Casa is, is, that's just, that's a house where uh, American priests who are studying, but they're not seminarians, but they're studying for advanced degrees and and things. So let's do a little geography. Okay. If you are standing at the top of the steps of St. Peter's. Yes. On the Vatican Hill, okay? The next hill that would be on your right is Mm -hmm. the Juniculum, which is where the North American is. Mm -hmm. It's built on top of that, all right? The Casa is about a 25-minute walk away from the Vatican and the Juniculum, um, closer to where ancient Rome, where the Forum is. Okay. And it is on the, uh, uh, it's by the Gregorian University and by the Biblicum. So for the priests at the Casa, um, you come out and literally the universities, at least those two are right there. And um, the seminarians had to walk it or take the bus every day. So it was much more convenient. Yeah. And the Angelicum was not that far either from the Casa. But there was a good distance between the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And so uh, now that you're a bishop, mm-hmm. what, what do Thanksgivings look like these days for you? You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, I try to... We have our own rituals in the diocese. Like, for example... The Monday before Thanksgiving, we would gather together and have a meal with 
all of the members of all of the school boards. Ah. All the advisory boards, a good maybe 200 people. And it was kind of like our Thanksgiving to them. Right? Pre-COVID, there would always be an opportunity to gather the seminarians together. Yes. In fact, in fact um, this past Sunday, I had lunch with the seminarians up in my former house where they're living now. Oh, so it's good. not all the seminarians, but yeah, kind of, it's like a pre-Thanksgiving gathering. Okay. And then the Curia has its annual Thanksgiving Mass. Again, this year we can't have it, but that we would have that. And then I would make the rounds of at least one or two of the schools for their Thanksgiving Masses. Now, to celebrate Thanksgiving Mass in the parishes, here I do not do that. And the reason I don't do that is because, having been a pastor myself, it's one of the occasions where a pastor can really, with his people, celebrate the life of their parish together. Yeah. And I feel as if if I come and dislodge the pastor, that it's, it's um, I, I would prefer the pastor to do it with his right. own people. Right. So now, I'm, now the pastors have started to invite inviting me to celebrate Mass. So I will go on a regular Sunday at a regular Mass and celebrate Mass. And we yes. were together at St. Mary's, for example. Yes, right? that's right. So I'm making, I'm making the rounds of the parishes doing that. I feel that's, that is, that's more in keeping with allowing the pastor to really be able to celebrate the, the more important feast with his own people. Right. Yeah, it makes mm -hmm. sense. And, mm -hmm. and how, about, um, how about actual Thanksgiving Day for you, Excellency? Or will well, you be with... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll go back to Brooklyn. Yeah, I'll okay. go back to Brooklyn. Right. right. And... and and a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I tried to host it with my family. And this is the secret of doing that. Whole Foods. <laughs> okay. Because if you go on, the, on their menu, the holiday menu. Yes. They have the a complete meal. Complete meal. <laughs> you just got to heat it up and the turkey you got to cook. So if you don't get there in time, have somebody else throw the bird into the thing, and then you're done. There you go. <laughs> you're done. But but I ate. Uh, I forget when we did this, and I sat there and ate. I said, if my mother really, if my mother were here now, she slapped me. What are you doing here? <laughs> but that's that's good. You get to see your your sister and her family then. Sure. And so we so yeah. So we do. So we keep the drinks and hors d'oeuvres kind of thing. We we drop the Italian piece, and then we just have Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, right. and remember we have the little ones, three and five years old. So it's yes. it's as much about them as it is about us. Yeah. Right? And now, uh, now, um, have you been able to pass on the March of the Wooden Soldiers to your niece and nephew? And their you mean my great niece and great nephew? Yes, and yes, and their children. Uh, no, to be no, because I'm not usually home that early on Thanksgiving. So okay. I don't know if my that's a good question. I don't know if my niece. I'm not even sure my niece. And my huh. nephew, because, you know, it was, I mean, they were out and she was friends and they come in for dinner. And so we were more homebound, my sister and I. Right. In that generation. It's interesting. I'm going to raise it at Thanksgiving, actually. I'm going to ask. I will ask. I, I'm going to look into it, too. Is it a comedy? You said it's Laurel and Hardy. It's Laurel and, uh, is it Laurel? Uh, yeah, it's Laurel and Hardy. But okay. no, it's not. Well, it is kind of, well, there are funny moments. But no, it's, 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 it's like a fairy tale. Okay. It's awesome. Babes in Toyland is actually the story. Babes in Toyland. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. We yeah. usually do uh, short, shortly after Thanksgiving, we uh, dive into um, It's a Wonderful Life. 
Oh so. my gosh, yeah. That's but see, we were not allowed until after the eighth. No, uh, right, nothing right. related. Sorry, embargoed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know um, what was a killer? Growing up, a killer. You uh, you are too young. You're too young. But there were these cartoons and these animated puppet shows for Christmas that have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town and all this stuff, right? Frosty the Snowman. I watched which those, Which is kids. Yeah. yeah, I love those. Well, if they were on TV before the 8th of December, you lost <laughs> it for the year. There was no way. <laughs> we got those, uh, Rudolph and then the Charlie Brown Christmas, we got those on DVD to show to our kids. They, they grew oh, up yes. in tunes. So. Yes. Yep. Yep. I have those. Oh yeah. Awesome. All right, Excellency. That was fun. Let's take a quick break, and uh, and we'll we'll talk more on the other side. Great. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. St. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that we should rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, Excellency, mm-hmm. let's shift from thanksgiving to giving thanks. At the heart of Christian life. So, you quoted St. Paul. I'm going to raise Charles Dickens. All right. Okay. The opposite of a grateful heart is an entitled heart. Mm. A heart that demands, a heart that's grasping a heart that um, believes it is owed to it, that which it has. Charles Dickens presents for us a Christmas carol. It is a parable of conversion. And I'd like to consider it to be the contrast between a spirit of entitlement and the spirit of gratitude. We know the story And Ebenezer Scrooge devolves in life, becomes deformed in life because of that grasping attitude until he is literally on the Christmas Eve of his conversion alone. He's alone. And it is Christmas, the three ghosts of Christmas that come to do what? To save him. How? By taking that spirit of entitlement and replacing it with one of gratitude, which then leads to generosity, which leads then to a willingness to open your life to others. So gratitude is all about recognizing joyfully our poverty. It begins by recognizing I am empty, and I am naked, and I have hope to be filled. And where does that hope come from? It doesn't come from the world. 
that will want us to think we are owed these things. No, you're not. You're owed nothing in the end. Yeah. Right? Or me, for that matter. But it comes from the graciousness of God. So, confirmation. This is one of my lines in confirmation. We talk about gratitude. I say the Spirit comes so that He will inspire you to get on your knees and in the quiet of your room, thank God for everything you have. Your next breath is a gift. The next beat of your heart is a gift. It is all grace. Dorothy Day says it's all grace. So does St. Augustine. Mm. Right? So gratitude begins with recognizing that I myself am insufficient. I myself am incomplete. I myself cannot achieve that which I want. It has to come from the outside. And I don't grasp for it because I don't necessarily earn it or merit it or even deserve it. But it comes to me at the hand of God. It's given to me in sheer love. And it asks nothing more than recognizing that it is gift and sharing the gift with someone else, not holding on to it, but giving it away. That, my friend, is Christian life. And that is what Ebenezer Scrooge grows into with Tiny Tim and giving him the money so he could get the medical attention so that his life is spared. It is, in many ways, a beautiful parable of why a Christian is a person of gratitude and not entitlement, right? So, so I know that uh, one of the parts of prayer then is thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So we should be thanking God for those things that you just said that we had no mm-hmm. part in, uh, you know, quote, obtaining for ourselves. You know, what, what else on a daily basis, how should we express this? Well, I would say this, Steve. I have discovered in my own life that offering thanks to God does not stand as an equal partner alongside adoration or worship or, or petition. The older I get, the more I realize it is the underpinning of every form of prayer. Hmm. Right? Because I cannot ask unless I first recognize what I already have. Otherwise, you can easily fall into spiritual negotiation with God. Right. Or a spiritual form of entitlement. God, give me this. Why should I give you this? Well, give me this because it's me. Well, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's why the Eucharist is to give thanks. It's the heart of who we are. It's the recognition that without Jesus, what do we have that is eternal? of everlasting value. Without his death and resurrection, what honestly do we have? And when we look at Christmas in particular, which we'll talk about, it is the great emptying of God, the kenosis of God. He set aside his glory and power and honor to live a life like ours in all things but sin. Well, who deserves that? I don't. Yeah. But it's given to me. I don't earn it, but it's given to me. So it's all about gratitude in the end, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. So you said the Eucharist is all about giving thanks to God. So um, 
obviously uh, we should go to adoration and give thanks to him face to face. But is there a connection then with with the mass? Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <clears throat> I think adoration, well, historically adoration arose in part because people felt and came to the, to the uh, uh, thoughtful reflection that they could not receive in a worthy manner. And therefore, in the Corpus Christi processions and in adoration, the Lord still comes and feeds us spiritually. But in that moment, we're not receiving him physically. It's in a sense almost a parallel to the celebration of Mass online for those who cannot come to church in this pandemic. So there's a spiritual food being given. It's not the Eucharist, but it's spiritual food. And therefore, there is tremendous value to that. But it's not a substitute for coming to receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist. But in my, and I guess I'm revealing my own, my own spiritual journey. But Eucharist, when I come to the to celebrate Holy Mass and receive the body and blood of Jesus, I have now gotten into the habit of before I receive to say, "Be merciful to me, O Lord, a sinner." at the very cusp of receiving. Mm -hmm. Because I need to recognize that the Lord in his graciousness is allowing me to receive. And even though I may not be in mortal sin, but I'm still a sinner. I'm not receiving truly, purely. Right? Yeah. I need work. I need work. God knows, people who know me know I need work. Right? <laughs> Spiritual work. Right? Uh, but adoration... In my mind, when I come before the Blessed Sacrament, reminds me of that. Mm. Reminds me that there is still a distance between me and the Lord. That please God grows ever closer, but I have work to do to receive the Lord perfectly, which won't happen until I'm with him in, in heaven. So adoration not only allows me to be spiritually fed, but it's a great moment of reflection in my own life that there's still a gap that I need to work on. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It makes sense. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, Excellency, there's, there's this line in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he says, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So, mm -hmm. so it looks like he's saying, even when you're burdened by something, you should still be giving thanks. And it seems like that, that's counterintuitive and like it would be really hard. Oh, 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 wait, oh, but, but you've stumbled now on a tremendous insight. Why was Paul given a thorn in the flesh? For his salvation. How many times do we forget to thank God for our pains and struggles? Hmm. For they too are gifts. It's counterintuitive, yeah. but it's real. Because if the Lord brings all things to good, then even our greatest sufferings are occasions for us to grow and to mature and to clarify our vision and to have purpose renewed in us. See, the road to heaven is not an easy one. 
because we need to be formed, molded, purified, converted. That gap, that distance I was referring to, right? That gap, the closer you get, the harder it is to fill that gap because you're going deeper and deeper into the roots of our own sinfulness. So who's to say that suffering could not actually be a blessing precisely because it helps me to grow in holiness? It's exactly what it is. Yeah. But do yeah. we ever give thanks for our troubles? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, not most of us anyway. Right. I, I certainly it's, don't. It's something to reflect on. Yeah. And, and when he said about the thorn in his flesh, then he followed by saying, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So it's exactly what right. you're saying, Excellency. Right, right. And even our sinfulness, we don't give thanks for it because we shouldn't be committing it. But we can give thanks for the fact that we are forgiven and the Lord will teach us from it. Yeah. Right? So we could grow in holiness. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad you raised that. It's an excellent point. Excellent. I, I guess, yeah. And I, and I guess um, he gives you, you don't know how much strength he can give you until you're in those positions of weakness and, and, and pain and suffering. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, um, you know, again, uh, quoting some of the things I say to the young people when I confirm them, you know, I, uh, the homily that I'm using this year is about masks, in fact, I taped it, I put it on the Dasson website, about the spiritual masks that the world tempts us to put on, those masks yes. we should throw out, right? Mm -hmm. And And I say to them, you know, you must be looking at me wondering this this guy can't be for real he can't he, he, he can't be serious <laughs> that you want me to embrace the truth and my friends are going to walk away maybe for good or to reach out to the poor and sick when i may be the only one helping them and the admission i make to them is to your point steve i could not do this without the presence of god in my life he allows me to conquer those obstacles and my faults and failings to be able to do that. So grace does allow us to overcome those obstacles. And grace can make those obstacles a source of blessing. Because they chisel us, form us, literally fire us. Mm. Right? into the image of Jesus. Yeah. So in the context of, of all that you're saying here, then um, uh, I have written down here a quote from St. Ambrose that I wanted to ask you about, but you've already mm -hmm. answered it in the context of everything you're saying. He said, no duty is more urgent than that of returning thanks. So it's a duty for us right. to be thankful. Right. Right, and therefore, a practical bit of advice to those who are parents and grandparents. One of the most basic primordial lessons a young person needs to learn as a little child is to say thank you. Hmm. Not simply because it is just due injustice, but because you're beginning to form the religious imagination of the child. And the more he or she thanks, the more it becomes part of the fabric of their life so that when faith asks them 
to be thankful. It will not be foreign. It's like yeah. the hand fitting into the glove. Yeah. And it may almost sound trite and formal and old-fashioned. And I, I am very proud of being at times trite and old-fashioned and formal. <laughs> but when I visit my, my great-niece and great-nephew, to my great delight, whatever I give them, which is a lot, they are always, they always respond by saying thank you. Yeah. This is a good thing. Yeah. Now, we who are older, we forget to say thank you. <laughs> right. Right? No, it's no more thank you, it's I want. But what do you want? I, I sound like my mother. But what do you want in the end? Yeah. You're giving the offer of eternal life. Is that not enough? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or it's often, uh, uh, I, okay, I got this. What else? <laughs> yeah. Oh, entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. Entitlement. Mm-hmm. Excellency, have you heard of this thing? I, I'd never heard of it until maybe a year or so ago, but there's this thing called a gratitude journal. And oh, yeah, it's it's where and and I see oh. I saw it in in the Wall Street Journal, but I know uh, people adults are doing it and they're encouraging their kids to do it. You just have a journal that's set aside for it's called a gratitude journal, and and you set aside some time each day or maybe twice a day or maybe at the end of the day just to write down a few things from that day that are really specific that you're thankful for. Well, it's a tremendous idea. Um, I, I think that's a healthy exercise for all of us. You, if you recall the exercise of the five suitcases, remember? Remind our, uh, yeah, yes, remind yeah, our listeners uh, about uh, that. Yeah, it was the exercise that the koinonia had introduced as an ecclesial movement when I was in Brooklyn. And it was a spiritual exercise of, of listing everything you're grateful for, all the blessings of your life, page after page after page after page after page. And it's people, events, characteristics, possessions, occasions, memories, everything. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And the whole purpose is, in some ways, is to test the true root of our gratitude. For if we are truly grateful, mm-hmm. we receive and we give away. Yeah. We don't receive and grasp. So then the five suitcases are the parable, you're preparing to go to heaven and all your blessings get packed into the bag and every other bag, so from five to four to three is half the size, only half the blessings can come. What mm. do you cross off? Mm. Okay. And it's both a, an exploration of how deeply grateful you are, because if you come up with five items, you have a problem. If you come up with 15 pages, chances are you have a, a greater sense of gratitude. And then how attached are you to those blessings? Right. You know, remember the scripture passage from the gospel that we heard last week about the talents? Yes. Five, two, and one. Mm-hmm. And in my homily, I, I make a play on words. And I talk about the talents, but I'm really talking about your gifts and talents that God has given to you, not for your personal benefit, but for the the benefit of those around you. So you're gifted by singing. Beautiful voice. Do you sing in the choir for the glory of God to lift up the spiritual life of everybody who's there? You're talented in business, but do you spend time sharing 
the, what you know with young adults who are starting off in their lives so that they could be successful. You're eloquent and a great speaker. People can listen to you for hours and you can make complex ideas simple. Well, do you do that for faith? Yeah. And learn the faith and help explain it to people so they can understand it and you can cap captivate their hearts. Gratitude is what motivates you to share them. Yep. It's paying it forward. Yeah, well said. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you're saying that we have an obligation to do this. So my, I, I extrapolate from that also uh, that we also have an obligation then to pay it forward to uh, those who are without. The poor, the homeless, the sick. For many reasons. For many reasons. First, the Catechism of Eternal Life, Matthew 25, demands it. When you did it for the least of my sisters and brothers, you did it for me. Right. But also, quite frankly, even for less noble purposes, is it not true that there but for the grace of God go myself? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in the end, how do you know if you are not helping the person who in another occasion in your life will be the person helping you. Yeah. That's what Christian charity is all about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is so primordially important, so basic to who we are as Christians. Yeah. That if, if, if a person misses this, then everything else is a little, is skewed. Is skewed. You look at a painting and say, it doesn't line up. Mm. This is the fundamental piece to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Excellency, let's let's take uh, one more break. When we come back, we've got two related, timely questions from listeners. Excellent. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, Excellency, we have, we have two questions that are related to the COVID pandemic. And so I'll just kind of I'll read both of them, and you can, you can um, address them both together. The first is from Chris in Norwalk. It's kind of long, I'll just read parts of it, but he talks about the, uh, the COVID-19 mandates with the limits of uh, the number of people um, in public uh, spaces. And he wonders uh, if, um, because I guess his church is uh, only allowing 10% of the capacity in, uh, is there a diocesan restriction that is more strict than the state mandate or is it handled at the parish level? And then separately, is anyone lobbying the governor to remove the 200-person limit and make it just a percentage of capacity? Right. 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 And then, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Excellency. No, I think, it's, so it's, 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 I think, a two- or three-part question. First is, uh, no, the, um, we follow the mandates from the state when it comes to capacity. So a parish, um, I don't know of any parish that 
consciously restricts more than what we allow. So if we allow, if the state allows 200, that everyone's invited to do that. Now, there could be other reasons I'm not aware of that a pastor sure. would restrict it further, but everyone follows the same norm. Okay. As for the capacity question, um, we lobbied with the governor to go to 200 from 100, which we were able to do. And we were just about beginning a strategy to appeal to him to raise it to 300 for Christmas. Hmm. And then the spike accelerated in dramatic form right. for COVID-19. And now, you know, we're back to 100 because the yes. infection rate is exploding in Connecticut. Yes. So, again, we've talked about this. We do what we do to protect life. So the question is, if the governor asks us to close down completely, do we follow? I mean, realistically, I sincerely doubt anyone's going to arrest us if we didn't. But we have to make sure that what we're doing is still protecting life or we're violating our own faith. Yeah. And there may be civil penalties, like right. a fine of ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 each occasion. Yeah. Um, so the bottom line is we, we try to create as expansive as possible the conditions by which we, we, we worship and we allow people to come to Mass. Um, but there is an inherent contradiction in what the state suggests, and that is it doesn't take into account the size of the church. Right. So 200 individuals in a church the size of, I don't know, St. Gabriel's in Stanford, <laughs> and 200 people in St. Teresa's in Trumbull, yeah. or St. Mary's in Norwalk, or the Basilica of St. John in Stanford is, is a totally different reality, right. right? Yeah. The state does not, we argue that more than once, Yeah. but they won't do it. They won't do it. Yeah. That's, yeah. And it's an essential business. I mean, it's not really of business, it but it's essential. Yeah. Of um, course it is. Right. And that whole thing, essential, non-essential, is nonsense. Ours <laughs> is absolutely essential. I don't yep. care what the state thinks, whether we're essential. I know we're essential. We know we're essential. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it's not it's not cut and dry, in other words, Excellency, because there's many different variables that go into this. Um, yeah, it is. And we're bound to the fact that we do what we do to protect our sisters and brothers, our neighbor. That's yeah. really what it's about. It's Christian charity that motivates what we do. Yeah. But the state, there, Chris's point is well taken. The state is not always consistent. Mm -hmm. And it's a lack of recognizing that certain spaces are bigger and therefore an arbitrary limit may not be totally congruent. He's absolutely correct. Yeah. But they just will not budge as much yeah. as we've tried. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure you'll keep working. I know last week the um, Bishop of Portland, Maine, sent a letter to uh, the governor of Maine um, arguing this very thing that the churches should have some input into what happens. So it sounds like you've already been working with Governor Lamont here. Um, most of it is through the State Catholic Conference, and we, we, we do, see, I'm a big believer that that sort of negotiation is done in private. Yes. Not in public. Right. Yeah. Because then you can have a frank conversation, state your case, 
and allow a person the room to make the decision and claim it to be his own. Right. Whoever that person may be. Mm-hmm. But embarrassment. Yeah. But I want just I want our people to pray. I don't care who takes credit for it. I don't care how it's done. Yeah. As long as they can do it. <laughs> Amen. I guess uh, so related to that, and that almost very well leads into um, Kim's question. She's also from Norwalk. She writes um, a heartfelt email. Uh, Bishop Frank, I've been so filled with anxiety this year. First, the shutdowns and the pandemic and then the election. It has been extraordinarily difficult and I feel like I'm not myself. Please help mm-hmm. me find peace. Mm-hmm. My gosh. I, I think, Kim, everybody's in the same boat in some way, shape, or form. And we need to remember that anxiety is undifferentiated fear. So in, in a series of Facebook postings, I kind of gave a recipe of how I deal with it. And I'm going to share it with you to the extent I hope it's of help. First and foremost, um, you have to name your fears. You have to name them. Because without naming them, they have an insidious effect on your life. And the second step is once you have the courage to name them, you need to find someone to talk them with. A companion, a guide, your spouse, a friend. Um, Because, interestingly enough, when you talk about it, they lose part of their hold on you. It's exposing them for what they are. And many times, those with whom we speak, especially if they're close to us, can provide us help with our coping mechanisms. They can help us name something that we're doing that we could escape. Uh, And then encouragement. Certainly they pray for us. And then the third step is once you've named it, once you've found someone, then you have to go to the Lord with them and place them before his feet and say, I can't do this without your help. You need to help me to get to a place of greater peace. That would be my suggestion in a practical way to try to deal with it. Yeah. I hope that helps. I, I bet that will help. Um, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, uh, send it in to us. You can send it in on the Veritas app on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Veritas Catholic Network is there too. Uh, Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Certainly, certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. As we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, we, your sons and daughters, lift our minds and hearts to you, O God, in deep gratitude for the great and small blessings of our life, most especially the greatest blessing we have, which is the gift of your Son and his salvific grace that leads us to eternal glory, to be one with you. And so in this time of gratitude, We say thank you, Lord, for everything you give us and help us to be generous of heart to share our blessings with those around us. And may this Thanksgiving be a time of safety and health and joy for all of us. And we ask this as we ask all things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, Steve, to you, to your family. Thanks, Excellency. To you too. I'll see you in Advent. Okay. <laughs>